Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life Rubina podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planning and leading thriving local churches. You've joined us for our vision series, where we will be unpacking our four discipleship priorities of gathering the lost, growing in community, growing as disciples, and going on mission. These four priorities are how we understand God has called us to live as His disciples, and over the next two weeks, we will unpack how we believe God is calling and challenging us to outwork these priorities in 2023. We pray this message is a blessing. Would you join with me as we pray? Gracious God, we thank you so much that we get to gather today. And whilst our hearts are filled with the grief of a world that is still hurting by wars and earthquakes and just injustice and disparity, I am reminded today that this is not the world as you intended it to be. So God, I pray, give us a crisp picture of the world that you desired and how we might be your hands and feet of renewal in that how we step into suffering and pain, how we might step into moments of injustice and and hurt, how we might offer the message of hope and grace and goodness to those who are lonely, outcast and dejected. Move in us today, Father, that we might move in your world. Less of me and more of you. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. I'm not only stoked that we're joined online, but I'm stoked we've got all the young people in the room today, the youth. Now, is it fantastic? It's Courtney, our youth pastor, cheering for herself. Um, there's this moment where we've actually provided them all with snacks, which just reminds us that you really grow out of fun stuff when you grow out of teenagers. So they get to eat whilst they listen. And I'm going to preach nice and short today. Amen. Ah, oh, you weren't in the 8 a.m. I need an amen for that one. Amen. That's good encouragement. Friends, when I think of vision, I think of men and women of, of the history that have inspired me. I don't know about you, but vision is my bread and butter. It's, it's what gets me out of bed in the morning. If I join something, I want to know, well, what's the vision? What are, we, what are we aiming to do? Vision is a crisp picture of the future that pulls us from the pain of the peasant, present into the promise of tomorrow. And when I think of vision, I think of people like this lady, Dorothy Day. Dorothy Day was a woman on the screen behind me who is, was infected by the understanding that we should care for the homeless, we should care for the poor, we should care for the lonely, the last and the least. And when she roamed society and found people that even the church was rejecting, ostracising, not caring for, something welled up in her heart as she chose to spend her life advocating for the marginalised and the hurting. Dorothy Day had a vision on her heart that all people would find home, would find comfort, would find clothing and food for all people are valuable. She says this, we repeat, there is nothing we can do but love. And dear God, please enlarge our hearts to love each other, to love our neighbour, to love our enemy as our friend. What a vision. What a stirring. I'm reminded of Mother Teresa. When as a young girl, she was on a train receiving a vision from God to go to Calcutta and provide hope for the hopeless. Actually touch those that that the caste society would say are untouchables. To mend and bind the wound of the lepers. Mother Teresa laid down her life, why? Because she didn't see disgusting people. She didn't see ostracised. She didn't see people to be repelled by, but people to love. And her vision led her to say something as beautiful as this, a life not lived for others is not a life. What a vision, friends. 
And of course, my, one of my favourites, if you've been at New Life for any period of time, you've heard me talk about him. In 1954, a man named Martin Luther King, an African-American preacher from the South, was filled with a vision for a community, a nation, and indeed a world that was broken by racial injustice. One too many African men and women had been booted off South American buses. And so the pastors of this small town of Montgomery turned to him for leadership and said, someone has to stand up and lead our nation through this. And Martin Luther King was filled with the dream that one day, one day, which is still a day we're still wanting to see, that black men and black girls, black little boys and white little girls could walk down hand in hand in street, knowing not fear, but peace. He says this, true peace is merely the absence of tension. It is the presence of justice. He was infected by a vision greater than himself. Friends, what vision pulls you through the pain of the present into the promise of tomorrow? Each one of these visions was a response to a profound problem in their day. Profound problem. A vision isn't a catch cry. A vision isn't a motto. It is an understanding of we need to go there because we cannot stay here. And I believe this world that we live in, friends, is in need of crisp vision like never before. On the edge of economic fallout, where some of you even in this room are knowing the pinch or even online or the hurt of having to pay mortgages you didn't sign up for, not knowing how we're gonna make ends meet, a world where wars and rumours of wars are passing around, where earthquakes are devastating. Friends, we must look at the world and say, there is still need for hope today. There is still need. But there is a problem. Because where in the past, each one of these people I mentioned earlier had a common thread. Dorothy Day, Mother Teresa and Martin Luther King were not infected with their own vision first. They actually caught on to a greater vision. It was the vision of the Kingdom of God. And that vision of God's kingdom pulled them into contextualise God's kingdom into their day, saying, God, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. But there is a problem facing us, friends. In the words of Barna, a Christian research group from around the world, after doing and partnering with World Vision, analysing the global church, it says this, the Western church is in irreversible decline and nothing can turn it around, pending a mighty move of God or the radical discipleship of the next generation. What a privilege it is to have our teenagers in the room with us today. Thank you for being here. I really hope I don't bore you. Thank you. Thanks for laughing at that as well. They're in the room today and I think that adds an extra weight, doesn't it? That they may grow up in a society and become adults where church is of a bygone era. Why is that important? Not because I'm worried about an institution, but because for most of my life, the church has been the hands and feet of Jesus Christ in a world that needs to know hope, that needs to know faith. But we are facing a future, friends, where countries where we used to go on mission might come here on mission instead to let us know the gospel that our society has forgotten, the hope and the, and the justice of a God that longs to still be known. May we not see that day. When I think of the future of the Australian church and the hope that we may, our future generations may miss out on, I'm reminded of the story I shared at a conference last year of Ezekiel, who was taken to a valley in Ezekiel chapter 37. If you're new to church today, can I just highlight, this is a weird story. It's not, we, it's not normal. You might be thrown out and think this is bizarre. Sometimes God is bizarre. 
But in this story, Ezekiel has a vision and in this valley, God shows him this valley filled with dry bones of an army that was once great, but is now nothing more than crusty skeletons. And he says to Ezekiel, O son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel turns to him and says, O Lord, only you know. And when I look at the church and I wonder, God, will these teenagers who sit in the room with us today walk away from faith when they walk away from school as statistics tell us that is more than likely? I wonder and I go, God, only you know if they will still be Christians. When I look at us as a church and I wonder in years to come, will we be a force for good and for justice and grace in society or will our voice be mute and nothing more than a whisper of a bygone age? I cry out, oh God, only you know. But God says to Ezekiel, Ezekiel prophesied of these bones. Call upon the breath to come and enter them. Ezekiel does and he prophesies a different future and by the power of the Holy Spirit, the bones rise up again and they are an army once thought dead. They become an army for good and for God in the world. And here is my hope. Friends, when you look at the future of the church, what do you see? Apathy? Someone else's problem? Because here's what I know. I have two boys And I long for them to grow in a day and age where they know the love and grace of Jesus Christ and are surrounded by a community that has an answer to the hopelessness of the world, that they wanna live for the good of God, for the good of the world and the glory of God. That is the future I wanna see and prophesy into existence. But for that to take place, we need a people who stand up and go, we do not accept the narrative of decline. That is not our future. We are praying for a mighty move of God. We will disciple the next generation. Imagine a church, friends, that's more than a Sunday service, but it's a church where people are propelled into the community to advocate for the widow, to stand up for the orphan, to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, and find shelter for the refugee. Imagine a church whose pastors are no longer in the headlines of scandal but are on the streets of the world caring for those others have forgotten. Imagine a church that says, hey, just because you're a teenager doesn't mean faith needs to be boring. You can be a revolutionary for the cause of the Kingdom of God. Imagine a church where everyone who walks through those doors, no matter their sexuality, no matter their race, no matter their past or their future, finds home and belonging in the Kingdom of God. Friends, this is a church that excites me. This is a church that we could be a part of. As a church that I sense God beckoning us into the future. But to do that, we have to long and recognise we are at a critical point in history and we have to start longing for renewal. It's not gonna be enough just to find more people to attend and warm seats. We need a people who are going, we have to be agents of renewal, that God would do something new in our time. We join with Habakkuk, who says in Habakkuk 3 verse 2, Lord, I've heard of your mighty deeds. I've heard of your wondrous acts. Repeat them in our time. In our time, make yourself known. That's why we're passionate about renewal, friends. We're passionate about renewal, not for us, but for those who are to come. That's why in 2027, we believe that new life, our family of churches will be a place. We will be leading a movement of renewal in Australia with and through the Uniting Church. Can I just tell you how controversial that statement is? People are like, oh, you said with and through the Uniting Church there. I just, you know, Mark, I've got some concerns there. I don't, because I believe God's called us to the fastest declining denomination in the history of this nation. I believe we're called to be agents of renewal in and amongst it. We will see a different story written by the grace of God and the good of God. But to do that, you might be sitting here, I know the teenagers probably are being like, that's nice, Michael, so what? How's that changed the board meeting I've got to face tomorrow?
I've got an English assignment due on Tuesday. Who cares? I've got to go pick up my kids from Kids Life and work out what I'm feeding them for lunch and you're talking to me about the future of the church. I'm just trying to make it through today. And so I want to land this for us because part of our vision is the understanding that this is big what New Life wants to do, but what does it mean for you as an individual? So what? And we believe that to see more people more like Jesus is actually a statement of discipleship. And there are four things you know, we've, you know, five things we're doing as a church. Lighthouse Church, we're going to lead our denomination. Church multiplication, personal formation, digital innovation, social transformation. There's a lot of shins in there. It all sounded sexy and cool when we put it together. But the idea, friends, is that you might be like, who's great, that's what New Life's going to do. What about what we're called to do? And, and that's where we believe the personal call of everyone here is to be a follower of Jesus. And there are four priorities we think that it means to be a follower of Christ. Four things that if you're a disciple of Jesus, will be close to your heart. And simply this, that we will be a people who gather the lost, that we will glue in community, we'll grow as disciples, and we'll be a people who go on mission. Gather, glue, grow, go. Michael, I thought we heard this last year. You re- are you just, you don't have new sermon material. That's the problem here. And friends, the truth about vision is I just, I just don't want to be a part of a church that has to reinvent a vision every year. We're not changing it. This is still what we're about. This is still who we are. And that's going to be the case until we, we arrive home in heaven or we see the job done. Today, we're going to talk about what does it mean to gather the lost and go on mission. We're going to talk about the external f- focus of, of, of our discipleship. Next week, we're going to go and talk about the internal focus of our discipleship, what it means to glue in community and grow as disciples. But this week, what does it mean for us to be people marked by a passion to gather the lost and go on mission? And there is a simple question, simple question that you can ask yourself today, whether you're online or in the room, it's this. Are you on mission? Turn to the person next to you and ask them, are you on mission? If you're online, why don't you type it in the chat, remind people you're there. Are you on mission? It's an important question, friends. Because when you look at the life of Christ, the one that we long to be like, we don't see a life of seat-warming church attendance. We see a life who is excited, who is invigorated. We see a man on mission and he calls us to do the same. To unpack this today, we're gonna turn to John chapter four. And in John chapter four, we're gonna read the last part of a story. Now, John chapter four in itself is a beautiful chapter in the Bible. I encourage you to read it. But we're gonna come in halfway through the action and find out why mission is important to Jesus and why He calls us into it as well. In John chapter four, we read this. His, Jesus' disciples returned and were surprised, everyone say surprised. Surprised Surprised to find Him talking with a woman. That was great, that gasp. That was absent from the 8 a.m. That was great because I think it was from women too. They're like, what? And so too should we be horrified. Let me explain what's happening. There should be some questions. When we read Scripture, we should always ask good questions. Where were His disciples returning from? Great question. So if you got there at the start of John chapter four, you know that John, that Jesus and his disciples are walking to Jerusalem. And on their way to Jerusalem, they take a side journey to Samaria where they stop. And Jesus sends his disciples into the town to buy food. But what's Jesus doing? Jesus chooses to wait by a well known as Jacob's well. So his disciples are returning in this moment from town to the well. But we can 
be fooled into thinking that the reason why they've stopped there is so Jesus can get the disciples to get him some KFC. That's not the case. See, Jesus is not accidental. His intentionality is profound. In this moment, Jesus finds himself at a well outside of a town of Samaritans because he knows that a woman is coming in the middle of the day. And he's come for this woman. Now, why are they surprised? Why are they surprised? Well, it's not because Jesus was usually a loner and didn't like talking to people. No, it's because of her gender. See, rabbis back in that day didn't really talk with women. In fact, if you were a rabbi, there was a prayer that they would often pray or a Pharisee would often pray, say, thank God that I'm not a Samaritan and I'm not a woman. That should shock us. And can I just highlight, there's nothing godly about that prayer. But it's important we understand that context. Jesus was in a society where the two things that you didn't want to be was a Samaritan and a woman. Samaritans were seen as half-castes. They were seen as people that weren't truly Jewish, that, that had betrayed the faith by marrying outside of the Jewish community. And women were just seen as genuinely inferior to men. And thank God we live in a society now we know that that's not true. Like, just hear me say that, that that's not true and that's not a godly position to have. But that was the position of ancient Jerusalem. And so Jesus steps in a moment and he waits for a woman who's a Samaritan to come, who in any other circumstance, no one would talk to her. But more than that, she's not just a Samaritan woman. She's going to eat drink from the well in the middle of the day. Now, we find out in the story, and those of you who are familiar with it will know that the reason why she's coming in the middle of the day is because she can't go with the other women in the cool of the day because they don't want her there. Why? Because she's someone that we find out has had five husbands. And now she's with someone that's no longer even her husband, but she's living with him. And I can't hazard to guess that maybe the women didn't want her with them because they didn't trust her around their families. This is an outcast. This is a woman who's made mistakes, but also had horrific things done to her as well. And no one is there to walk with her to the well. And so they're surprised. Jesus, do you know who this is? Friends, maybe some of you know how that feels. And in this moment, what happens is that Jesus has a life-changing conversation with her. He says to her, you came here to drink this water from the well, but I've come to give you living water and you will never thirst again. And she has this conversation saying, you better than me? Your water's nicer than I, it's because I'm a Samaritan. You're paying out on Samaritan water. He's like, no, I'm not talking about water for your body. I'm talking about water for your soul. I've come to refresh and renew you, he says. And she tries to reject it saying, we've never been good enough. You Jews don't let us worship in the temple in Jerusalem. And so we try worship on the mountain of our forefathers. And Jesus says, there will come a day where it's no matter where you are, you'll be able to know God, His presence and worship Him in spirit and in truth. And she goes, how can this be? And He tells her, I'm the Messiah, the anointed one. Remember James' sermon from last week? First time it's declared in the Gospels. I'm the Messiah. What's he saying to her? I've come to make all things right. I've come to renew your story. I know who you are. I know who you've slept with. I know where you've been. And I still want you part of the kingdom of God. And in that moment, the disciples walk in, right? The tension's thick. They're like, why is Jesus talking to a woman? The story goes on and tells us that they didn't ask him about it. Why? Because they probably got used to Jesus doing crazy things. But it says that in the next moment, then leaving her water jar, this woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Can I highlight how many of you would be excited if someone was telling other people everything you ever did, right? There's some teenagers in the room. You don't want anyone to know everything you've ever done. But this woman's like, he's called me out. He knows all my sin. He knows, come and hear about it. 
Why would she be saying that? Because Jesus freed her from shame. He's saying it's no longer who you are anymore. She's like, you've got to come meet this guy. Could this be the Messiah? She quotes, then the whole town comes out to meet him, it says in the next verse. But the disciples are in this moment, right? They've gone in to get KFC. They've come back to Jesus, who's talking to someone he shouldn't be talking to. They're confused. And in such comedic stupidity, the disciples kind of don't know what else to do. So they're like, hey, Jesus, you're looking a bit skinny. You want to eat something? Doesn't say that. That's Michael's translation. Rabbi, eat something. And he says to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And you almost get the like, the dumbfoundness of the disciples in this moment when they're like, who flipping bought him food? We went all that way. Judas, is this you? You know, there's just like this sense where the disciples are frustrated and they ask, could someone else have brought him food? Did this woman feed him? Is that why he's talking to her? And Jesus turns to them and he, he explains to them what happened. He says, my food, says Jesus, is, is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest, He says. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Jesus goes on and says, even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus little saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. How others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labour. And in this statement, Jesus gives us our why, our impetus, our vision cast for why mission must be close to the heart of Christians, why we must all be focused on gathering the lost and going on mission. And if you're like, I got none of that from what Jesus said, that's okay. Let me explain. Jesus comes and He gives us really three things that He says motivates, three things that inspires, three reasons why mission is important to His heart and should be important to our heart. The first thing He says is this, I find satisfaction and I am motivated to be on mission. I am satisfied and motivated because of mission. Where do we see this? Well, he says it at the start, doesn't He? My food, guys, is not Hungry Jack's. The thing I long for, the thing I'm hungry for is to do the will of the one who sent me and to finish the work. That's bizarre. What's he saying? Have you ever had that moment? Maybe you haven't. Have you ever had that moment where there's, there's like you're working on something and you forget to eat? because you're just so in caught up. Like for me, I'm a bit of a nerd. My downtime, I love reading fantasy novels. It's just where I'm at. J.K., you know, J.R. Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, all that stuff. That's, that's where I'm at. I love it. But there are sometimes where I'm reading a novel and I just get so engrossed and I'm like, whoa, it's lunch, it's lunchtime was two or three hours ago. I should go eat. That would be really good. I don't read during the week. This is like on my days off in case you're wondering. So that's what you do in your office. There's this moment, right? But don't we all have that? Maybe you're working on something at work and you're so excited by it, you forget or, or there's an assignment or a video game you're playing or something that has just caught you up and you're like, whoa, I probably need to go ahead and have some food right now. I'm just too caught up in what I'm doing. Have you ever felt that before? I think that's what Jesus is saying. He's like, you guys don't get it. I'm not sitting here being like, where the heck are they with KFC? He's going, man, I'm doing exactly what fires me up. And what is it? The will of God. To do what God wants me to do. He's saying to them, you guys don't understand. That woman that just left, she felt unloved. She felt outcasted. She had no hope. I got to have a conversation with her and it was better than any meal that you could offer me. It's better 
Man, she's running home now because she's transformed. How good is that? Take your money back for your gay KFC because this is what I want to do forever. Now, Jesus in no way is saying we shouldn't eat food. We should just go and work for God. Like Jesus loved feasting if you read the Gospels. Amen? Amen? Come on, let's eat food. But there's this moment where he's going, it's not the most important thing for me. I'm worried about the mission of God because it's what satisfies. And here's the word I want to say. There's some people who are so bored with Christianity, but Christianity's not boring. We've just forgotten what the heart of it is. We think that there's a problem with the faith and we don't recognise maybe we're the ones that are boring. Maybe we're the ones who have docile it down that we've like made it more vanilla and it's meant to be chocolate. It's meant to be exciting. It's meant to be something we long to be a part of because it's meant to make us so scared to be a part of it that we know we need God in every single moment of our day or what is on our heart will not happen. Are you satisfied? Are you motivated? Jesus turns on and He goes, but there's also this sense of urgency of the mission. He says to the disciples, you guys don't get this. Don't you see? You say that the harvest is in four months time. I tell you, open your eyes. People are ripe for harvest. Now he's not talking about like using people as a utility here and like, let's just harvest them up. He's talking to an agricultural society who understand the role of the seasons. But I reckon what he's doing is he's highlighting to the disciples, where did you just go? You went into Samaria to the town filled with people who don't know me and you've come back with how many? I stood here and I had a conversation with one woman, one woman. And she is now transformed by the grace of God. And so she is the one running back to the town to tell everyone in the town about what has just happened. And they're all on the way out. And I guarantee you when they get here, guys, they're gonna be confused and go, wait, you guys are just more KFC. You're with him? How come the one we didn't even wanna talk to, this lady is the one telling us about him? What were you guys doing? He's saying you were surrounded by brokenness and all you thought about was your stomachs. Do you not see the urgency of the hour? Friends, there is a moment right now in Australia where statistics tell us that people want to talk about spirituality. They're interested. They want to talk about God. They just don't want to talk to Christians. Why? Because we've made it that way. We've made it more functional. We've about made getting them to church or getting them to the next thing rather than loving them in the moment, finding ourselves in the wells of Samaria that we might interrupt the brokenness of someone's narrative. There are people in your world right now that one day may can be confused that they had to hear it from somebody else. I used to work at Hungry Jack's back when I was a young person. Don't ever work there. It would be my, unless you do work there, in which case, <laughs> sorry. There's a sense, right? Well, I used to work at Hungry Jack's and someone came to church uh, six, months, six months, years after I'd finished working at Hungry Jack's, I was a youth pastor. And this guy, I still remember it so distinctly. It's like, dude, you're a youth pastor? And I'm like, yeah, you knew I was a Christian. And he's like, yeah, but not a good one. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, man, like, I definitely didn't want to come to church because of you. And I remember being so shocked. We laughed about it in the moment, but I was heartbroken inside. And he told me, no, I'm a Christian because I, I met someone else. It always confused me why you were the way you were. It hurts. There are people in our world right now and they're wondering, 
Will they hear the message? Here's an even more poor question. Will they see the message? Will they see it lived? I've failed too often at that. May we be a people who when we go to Samaria, we don't just return with food, but with a burning in our hearts for people who don't yet know the hope of the gospel. You know, the third thing that Jesus says is this, is that there's a partnership in the mission. There's a partnership of the mission. And the partnership is simply this. Doesn't he go on to, to highlight this beautiful moment where he says to the disciples, you worry about who's reaping and who's sowing, but here's the truth. You're gonna harvest a crop someone else planted. What's he talking about there? He's saying to them, we as Christians never work alone. There is someone that has planted a seed in someone in your world long time ago now, told them that they were loved by Jesus, they just cared for them, they cooked them a meal, they provided for them, and they did it because they were a follower of Jesus. And there's a moment you get to walk into, into someone else's planting and you get to do some watering. Why? Because we're the body of Christ. We partner together. This is not an isolated thing, but it's not only about the fact that you might be watering or even harvesting a seed someone else planted in someone's life. Here's the beautiful thing. You might very well in that moment experience the beauty of partnering with the Holy Spirit because that's the beauty of the truth of what we are doing when we're on mission. We're not by ourselves or with the Holy Spirit. Jesus says this in John chapter 20, verse 21 to 22. It'll be on the screen behind me in just a moment. He says to them, again, Jesus says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, He breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was not given to the people of the world that we might just do weird things at prayer nights. Although that happens. The Holy Spirit's chief purpose was to advocate for the teachings of Jesus that you might be equipped and empowered to be the hands and feet of God in the world. Some of us, we don't experience intimacy with God in the moment. And I wonder if it's we're doing and we're with where the Holy Spirit and Jesus are calling us to go. Maybe God has been distant in our lives, not because He's absent, but because we've chosen not to listen. Leslie Newbigin says it like this, I think that the deepest motive for mission is simply the desire to be with Jesus on the frontier of the reign of God and the usurped dominion of the devil. What's he talking about? He's talking about the mission of God is not filling a church on Sunday. It's going out on Monday all the way through to Saturday and living lives where we are trying to be agents of renewal in a world that need to know the brokenness and darkness is not the way that God intended it to be. Friends, this is about telling people about Jesus, but it's also about using our gifts and talents as CEOs, as doctors, as lawyers, as audio technicians, as mothers and fathers, bringing moments of renewal by baking for people, by advocating for, injustice, for justice in unjust situations, by being moral and integrous and carrying out virtue. We are carrying the mission of God wherever we go and God is with us if we would so hope and be aware of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's the only thing that has ever led to great visions of the Kingdom of God changing the world. John Tyson, one of my heroes, says it like this. He says, when you take Jesus seriously, it produces Mother Teresa's and saints. Christianity was designed to produce extreme results, not nice people. I just think our faith has become vanilla. And we're called to be living the most exciting lives there are. We've got young people in the room today. 
who, just by the way, you guys have done such a good job at listening. You're either glazed out and not listening or your eye contact is phenomenal. <laughs> and they're watching. Are you excited? There young kids right now are looking at this and going, would I want to be a part of this when I get to your age? Doesn't seem like you're that keen. What would it look like if you're like, man, I've got to tell you, I'm in the middle of a boardroom on Monday and they're talking about something and I sense the Spirit of God say, hey, I need you to stand up for this issue in this moment and I'm scared, but hey, I'm stepping out. I'm going to get my friends at church to pray for me. And we talk to our young people as if the reality of the mission of God is a reality we outwork every single day of our lives. Friends, evangelism is not just inviting people to Alpha, although that is that, I'm gonna talk about it in a moment. Evangelism is also living out the faith every single day, asking God, what are you doing in this moment? How can I advocate against darkness and bring your light into the world? Evangelism is feeding the poor. Evangelism is clothing the naked. Evangelism is advocating for the refugee. Evangelism is living in a way that confuses the world and glorifies God. It's not just knowing how to speak the gospel, but it's nothing less than knowing how to speak the gospel either. Friends, are you passionate about gathering the lost and going on mission? Because this is the marks of those who are called to be disciples of God. And it's the marks of people that we wanna call New Life Home, be disciples of Jesus who join Him on mission. Friends, we are a saved people to be a sent people. So let me finish today by asking this question. Where is your well? Where is your well? Our worlds are filled with wells of Samaria. Places we should hang out and people be confused by who we're talking to. Young people, you have wells in your school. Some of you know there are, there are, there are young people in your grades who no one talks to and they're just longing for someone to come and sit with them. There are young people right now in your school who are going, their parents are going through divorce and they feel hopelessly lost and they need to know that someone loves them. You're called. That's you. Adults, your world is filled with the wells of Samaria, but too many of us are just trying to get food so we can make it to Jerusalem. So there are two things we're going to ask us to consider doing as we wrap up today. First one is this. The way in, you're all handed an alpha card. And each week, of vision, we're gonna have a corporate response and then we're gonna have a personal response. So I wanna tell you about the corporate response to this message today. We run Alpha not because we don't think anyone's you know, excited about a brand new program of Alpha, it's because we believe it works and God's called us to do it. And we wanna create an opportunity as best we can as a church for you to come and have dinner with someone in your life that is not a Christian that needs to ask questions about Jesus. But here's something I wanna make clear. Hey, Christians, Alpha's not for you. Let me just say it. I know someone's gonna come up to me after the service, but I love coming to Alpha and getting free food. Who wouldn't? <laughs> Alpha's not for you. Go to small group. Join a small group. Alpha is a space where we are making room for non-Christians to come into this room or new Christians or people who are exploring faith and ask questions and have their answers discussed in a safe environment. So I've written three names on the back of my card and last year we didn't do it and I realised I think we weakened our alpha response because, because people weren't praying for three names. So what I want you to do today, if you care about gathering the lost and going on mission, could you as a family write down three names? Write them down. And all I wanna ask you to do is pray for them. Pray for opportunities to sit at the well of their life. And maybe, you know, my three, one of my names on here is my barber, Paul. Maybe the next step with Paul is not alpha. Maybe it's come over for dinner with his wife, Sam. Like hang out with me and Sarah. 
But guess what this card's gonna do? It's gonna make that a focus for me. Hey God, how you call me to intersect with Paul's life? How can I sit at the well of Paul's world? And, and he's an Iranian guy has come over from Iran trying to escape the situation over there and, and just like spend time with him. And then maybe there might be an opportunity where I invite him to Alpha, but it's gonna come out of long form relationship and discussion, not trying to increase good statistics at a local church. But here's what I know, I'm making it a prayer. Who are the three you're praying for this year? Don't make this someone else's problem. If we're disciples of Jesus, I believe we have to care about the lost. The second question is this, it's time to find a well. Some of you, your well is your office space. Some of you, your well is your university. Some of you, your well is your family. Some of it's your school. It's somewhere, it's somehow, it's something. And I just wanna highlight this, that God is putting a well of Samaria on your heart where He's called you to join Him on mission. You're not alone. Jesus is waiting and He's so excited to be with you in that moment where you're going, I'm so scared, Jesus. He's like, I know, how good is it? Rely on me. I guarantee you this, you will never feel closer to Christ than in moments when you're being obedient to things He's called you to do for the sake of others. It's like your heart starts beating. You're like, Jesus, I need you right now. I think, I don't know how to do this. And then you just feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. I am with you. I am with you. Just maybe. I don't know, friends, like I've just been broken this week. I was at a beach called Karawa. Some of you might know it. And I just realised our heart of our church, we, I think we may have lost our heart for the gospel, for the lost and for mission. And then God just kind of corrected me. He said, Michael, I think you've lost your heart for the lost and for mission. Ah, just standing on this beach, just looking at people, just being like, I don't know how much pain there is here. God, how much lostness there is here. God, break my heart for, these, for this again. I oh, think that's a good prayer for us to pray. God, break our heart. Maybe it's that you need to go have a chat with New Life Care and Brett Lush and say, hey, how can I be the hands and feet of Jesus through what you guys are doing? Maybe it's you getting a group of people together, be like, hey, we all ride bikes. Why don't we go ride bikes with people who don't know Jesus and just love them well? I don't know what it's gonna look like for you. But let's start with a prayer that says, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you would like prayer, you can contact us at church.nu or through our Instagram or Facebook page. We pray you have a great week. Be blessed.